Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Sleepy. And this is a music history podcast where I am trying to revitalize Sleepy by teaching her music history. It's not going to work. <laughs> Never once has being taught something. Well, that's not true. Sometimes being taught something has woken me up, but most of the time that's not the case. It's because we're not your favorite podcast, so you're not interested. That's in true. That's true. We are not as funny as Sid and Olivia talk shit, and I will say that forever. I love them. They pretend to be dogs. Sometimes. I feel like you have done that at least once. That's fair. (laughs) I'm just not as funny, though. Well, sorry. It's been a while. Things have happened. We did well. We had like three weeks in a row with an episode, and then like four weeks without one. Everything is insane. Yeah. We've had weddings, we've had family in town, we've had concussions, we've had a lot of stuff. But we're back. Hopefully things will be a little bit more calm. Mm. Well, the wedding's done. Yeah, but I have like 5,000 other things to do somehow. There's always a thing to do, and I'm not stressed about it, not at all. (laughs) Well, (sighs) hopefully we'll find time to get some episodes out. But you can keep track with us, keep up with us. On social media, twitter.com slash soundofhistory underscore. Hopefully we'll post about stuff there. You good? You're just staring off into the void. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's Mika's the host now, so you can just complain about your things. I don't want to complain. That's not fun to listen to. Mika is a host now. Um, I got hard sweet tea not twisted tea like it's different like I got like a yuppie alcoholic tea situation and it wasn't that bad have we talked about this no but isn't that just what twisted tea is well no like I wouldn't expect it to be bad well I wouldn't expect mine to be bad either until I was literally in line at checkout which I never do And I looked down at it and it said zero sugar. And I said, but I checked it real quick in line because I'm not buying some gross, truly aspartame. And it said monk fruit. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And I, I was like, all right, we're going to gamble because I don't know. I feel like that's not as bad as aspartame, but it's not sugar. So it's not bad. It's kind of like fruity. But that's, yeah, it's not bad. I'm not plugging it. Just, it's not bad. It's just awareness. Just awareness. That's what's going on in my life. Also, I will plug two of your best friends getting married. I still think I might cry at any point. And my heart is so full. And it's second to our wedding one of the happiest days of my life (laughs) what happened to your thumb oh i would like to not plug gel on my nails Uh my nails need dip because my nail tore this one and this one because micah's key got broken Mm. in her ignition i was trying to get it out but then the car was like no 
I'm going to keep it because you're trying to steal it, obviously, instead of just like, I don't know, turn the car off. It wouldn't like let that happen. I don't know why. I don't get how that's anti-theft. I don't know. Like the key, the car was already on. I was driving it. Like, why won't you let me take it out? That made no sense. And it tore my nail. I'm trying to keep it from tearing more, but I think I have to cut it. And that's really sad because my nails got really long. Anyway, (laughs) this probably needs to end. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while, so I assumed you had (laughs) some things to say. I have many more things to say. Well, save it. So that way, next time. I'm not going to remember. You can write them down. I don't know. I'm writing down everything I need to tell Madison. Yeah. I told you, you told I'm going to tell them because I'm not going to bother them on their honeymoon except for official business that I have been requested to do by Blake. But I, they're, they're my best friends and I want to tell them things. And so I'm, I'm just making a list of everything that I have to tell them. Except for I told them that you got a concussion because that seemed important for them to know. Nah. Yeah. I was like, I love you. I hope you're having fun. Nick has a concussion. He's fine. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. That's basically. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Anything else? I don't plug concussions. That's bad. No. They're bad. I don't either. Okay. Let's see if I can get through this without losing my focus. That's not funny. (laughs) It's been 48 hours at this point. I'm good. Yeah, but you didn't let yourself actually heal. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. No, you didn't at all. Mika no longer the host now? No, Mika's mad at you because (laughs) you're a bad patient and you didn't let yourself heal like at all. I did okay. No. Okay, Mika no longer the host now. Yeah, shut me up. <laughs> Do you have any idea what we've been talking about <laughs> no. recently? <laughs> no, not at all. We've been in the 70s for the past few episodes. Oh, mama, welcome to the 70s. <laughs> we've been talking about some of the softer forms of music. Oh, yeah, we with... were talking about soft rock, and I disagree yep. with the definition of soft rock. And we had episodes on Elton and Billy Joel. We had some fun stuff. We did a Sound of Conspiracies. That was fun. With Tupac and Jim Morrison. Thanks for letting me on that one. You're welcome. That was a lot of fun. I hope I didn't like kill your vibe. I think the one with Elvis, the one about Elvis is going to be coming out before this episode. So that'll be out soon. I recorded it with Jacob. You weren't there. Oh, I was like, <laughs> we did Elvis such a long time ago. No, it was, is Elvis really dead? That Sound of Conspiracies. It should already be up. So go listen to that if you want. I mean, if we believe the movie, it would be shocking if he wasn't dead. Yeah. Well, you'll just have to listen to the episode, see what you think. I think he's dead. Okay. Well, we're going to keep the kind of soft rock train going, and we're talking about singer-songwriters today, so kind of. What is your definition of singer-songwriter? They write their music, and then they sing it, and it's about the the... The craft of the song. Okay. And like the lyrics are meaningful and 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 it's just 
they they write it because it's their heart and then they sing it to us because they want us to understand their innermost feelings. Okay. So it's like it's poetry like and diaries. Music. Okay. That works too. I mean, it's no, yeah. It's it's like it's like it's like that. Is there anyone any particular artist you think of when you think 70s singer-songwriters or like 70s, 80s? I don't think you know enough to know. <laughs> I don't think I know anyone okay. that was alive in the 70s or 80s. That's not true, but okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. The t- the term singer-songwriter, which seems pretty vague on the surface because it... How? It's literally like the definition and the thing. But... It could apply to so many artists. Yes, who and it don't does fit this genre. Like, I'm I'm def- I'm defining are the, it. Are the Beatles singer songwriters? They wrote and performed their okay. own music. That was meaningful. Singer songwriter. New new aspect of the definition. One person. Okay, is Alice Cooper a singer songwriter? I don't know who that is. Is David Bowie a singer songwriter? Maybe. <laughs> no, they're not. D- did he write his own music? Yes. Okay, probably. then well, probably. I think he did. I mean, I don't know enough about David Bowie, but I would assume he did. Singer-songwriters also must play one of the two instruments, guitar, piano. <laughs> okay, okay. This is, this is right, the true but... <laughs> definition of singer-songwriter. I don't, I'm teaching this episode. But more specifically, singer-songwriter is a term that is used by record labels to categorize a certain type of music. Record labels and also the charts and other music business corporations define singer-songwriters as musicians who write and perform their own material, which is often self-accompanied, usually by piano or guitar. Literally, (laughs) why are you even here? (laughs) Generally, they perform alone with maybe a small group accompanying them. Why are you even here? (laughs) You didn't say that part. I did. I said one person. As you might expect, since it's a pretty personal performance, the lyrics are incredibly important to singers. Literally leave. (laughs) You can't tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) I never said you were wrong. You did. No, I didn't. In your tone and in your eyes. You said that anyone could fall, and I don't think that's true. I think it's a certain type of thing. I don't know. There's like a vibe to it that's not like like David Bowie is rock or kind of, I guess, like, pop or new age whatever he was he's not a singer songwriter even though he technically fits this thing and so is like alice cooper or ozzy osbourne when he went solo like there's people who don't fit because they're in other genres but technically fit this categorization but they aren't singer songwriter i disagree i think that they are (laughs) okay ozzy osbourne is a singer songwriter (laughs) yeah if he wrote his own stuff and accompanied himself on guitar or piano without all the extra people, then yes, he is. <laughs> okay. The lyrics are intensely personal, but are often obscured and layered under metaphors and imagery, so it can be kind of hard to know exactly what they are talking about. Unless it's Taylor. And sure. then she'll just call you out. Yeah, she's pretty open. This is particularly like early singer-songwriters. The definition might have shifted a little bit. The artist tries to put the emphasis on the song rather than on their performance of it. So the lyrics are super important and the recordings are often more downplayed and simple. I think that this is exactly what I've been saying this whole time. Yeah. 
I never said you were wrong. I think you did. I did not. Your your subconscious communication with me said that. Then you were mishearing it because I never <laughs> I never thought you were wrong. Though what we've said so far could describe a ton of people we've talked about from. Who the heck is this? <laughs> It's a typo, so I'm not sure. Who is it? Hand Williams. (laughs) Hank? I think it's Hank Williams. (laughs) And Buddy Holly to even Billy Joel, the term started to be used to describe an artist working with certain themes and styles. So introspective confessional lyrics, an understated performance, and a somewhat sparse accompaniment, which is, I think, where some of those other people I mentioned filter out. I th- like I think Ozzy Osbourne, no one would call him necessarily introspective or an understated performance. So I think he. Kinda, I also think that there are a ton of Bowie. people that like would be like in Spotify singer songwriter who aren't introspective. Sure. And it's dumb. Well, I, I think, think that that is like you start getting away from the truest definition of it, and then <laughs> it's just like, but. This what is, is it based off of? A vibe? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's what genres are, mostly. There's certain like, characteristics, and then it's just, you know it when you hear it. I'm going to go find a singer-songwriter vibe song from Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> I'm sure you can. And this is also, we're talking about early singer-songwriter. Like, it emerged in the 70s, so we're talking about that. We're not necessarily talking about, like, 2020 singer songwriters which are kind of different well yeah we never get to talk about people that are alive now we literally talked about billy and elton never (laughs) it's never happened i mean maybe if you would want to record we would get there i'm sorry (laughs) when did we start this what year did we start this thing wasn't it like the 1800s yep and where are we now 1970 we're about 100 years in that's pretty good yeah (laughs) (laughs) as some of the teenage rockers got older that style of like i want to hold your hand type pop songs lost their appeal for these guys who are now like professional serious musicians right because serious musicians never want to hold hands (laughs) instead they started to face larger questions about death and the world and (laughs) wars and stuff so their music started to change to reflect that focus the duality of man (laughs) I mean, hold happened. hand death well like when you're 16 that's the biggest I'm sorry, thing no there are so many 16 year olds thinking about death it's not I even guess. funny maybe now probably less back then in the 60s the bob dylan style of folksy political protest songs got super popular so the singer songwriter movement can be seen as an outgrowth of that which we're not talking about bob dylan but like that might need to change because he's just so prevalent. Like so many things that we talk about, like trace back to Bob Dylan. I don't know anything about Bob Dylan. So well, exactly. And that's why Probably. I feel like we might need Because <laughs> like the goal of this is for me to teach you more about artists that I think you should know and probably don't. Yeah. So Accurate. Bob Dylan is like a big one. <laughs> so like yeah. maybe it's just, I don't know. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode on I him. I feel like Bob Dylan looks like my grandfather did. Okay. Which grandfather? Grandpa Ron. I don't think so. But maybe. He was very 70s. Okay. In the 70s. (laughs) 
I thought you didn't know anyone who was alive in the 70s. Oh, yeah, well. When a song is written and performed by one artist, it's often seen as more authentic, as if that song had to have come out of the artist's lived experience. It's seen as more transparent, and I think it goes a long way to increasing a fan's attachment to the artist. They feel like they know a lot more about the artist because the artist tells them through their songs. Unless they didn't write it and everything's a lie. <laughs> yes, but then it wouldn't be singer-songwriter. At least that's the way these songs are kind of viewed. Like, that's the, that's the general feeling of it. Whether or not it's true is a different matter. For many years in the music industry, a songwriter was a hired position, similar to a session musician. You would have labels like Motown that had a stable of songwriters who would write things for the singers that were signed to the label. It was uncommon in pop music for singers to write their own stuff. Like, I doubt Bing Crosby or Frank Sinatra have the first clue how to write a song. Yeah, Frank Sinatra did not write any music ever, I'm sure. I mean, neither did Bing Crosby. Like, none of them did. They were singers. That's what they did. Like, actors. That's why they all sing the same song. (laughs) There were only, like, ten songs. Yes. Yeah. That just repeated. Yep. I came across that when I was trying to build Madison's, like, bridal shower Mm -hmm. playlist because... It's the same song, but by four different artists. And I had to pick which one I was going to do. Had to get an even distribution of Ella (laughs) and Frank and Bing. And Louie. And Louie. Except for Louie gets Lovey and Rose every time. Yes, of course. The songwriters rarely wanted to transition to performing. They wanted to just build up a catalog of hit songs. Country and folk music was where artists first started to write their own material. People like Hank Williams and the Carter family, though they often covered each other's work, still wrote and performed their own songs. Didn't we talk about them? Yes. The the Carter family were the first, like, country. That's right. So they recorded in Bristol, and it was, like, the first country recordings. In traditional, in in mainstream music. I feel like that's an important designation. Sure, yeah, in, like, popular music. Someone had to write it first, and then sing it, and then people would sing it their song yeah i guess in terms of like the recording industry it didn't happen a lot yeah in the 60s bob dylan and the beatles who both broke free of conventions and created new sounds started to introduce the idea of major commercially successful pop artists writing their own material the term singer songwriter first started to appear in the late 60s and early 70s, specifically referring to a group of writers who had written hits for other artists and then had hit songs that they performed themselves. Like but, Ed Sheeran. <laughs> sure. But was did Ed Sheeran write hits first? And then, yeah. Okay. Ed Sheeran I, has been a writer for a long time. Okay. I, I mean, I knew he did both, but he's also been a singer for like since 2012 or something. I he, feel like he wrote first. Yeah, probably. This was like a particular group of artists who kind of all like worked together and like knew each other. People like Carol King, Harry Nilsson, and Randy Newman. Randy Newman? Yeah. Like, you've got a friend yeah. in me? Even though that was Carol King who wrote that. We talked about this in we the Soft did. Rock episode. <laughs> in which one? The Soft Rock episode, I'm pretty sure. Oh. But then it grew to contain artists who were popular in the protest movement and then just kept growing to cover artists who sounded similar and wrote their own stuff. You can actually trace the singer-songwriter genre back to the bard tales, which have existed in various traditions all over the world. Bard? Yeah, this is kind of what you were talking about. 
A performer would tell a story, usually accompanied by one string instrument. Once material was able to be printed, some of these songs would be written and reproduced, often evolving with performance. And that was kind of the start of like the folk music tradition. In more modern times, singer-songwriters grew from folk and blues music. People like Lead Belly, Jimmy Rogers, Howlin' Wolf, and some of the other greats of blues and country music, which I'm pretty sure we've talked about all of them, so you guys can go back and listen to those. Do you remember anything about any of those guys? Remember the names. Well, that's a start. That's good enough, I guess. But these earlier artists were not super concerned with originality and being authentic. They would lift parts of other people's songs for their own or record some blues standards or tell folk tales. It wasn't very, like, introspective or self-focused. It often wasn't even stories about their own lives. Which, nothing wrong with that, but it's not singer-songwriter like we would come to expect. Singer-songwriters write about not their own lives all the time. Sure, but not for this genre right now, currently. I reject your definitions. <laughs> it's not my definition. It's the record label's definition. I reject them too. They can come talk to me about it. Except for I won't talk to them because I'm busy. And I just discovered do not disturb on my phone. You're too busy for Sony music. They can... That's right. <laughs> so these like blues and country artists also started the tradition of writing songs about current events, especially critical, more protesty type songs. Here's one of Leadbelly's songs called Jim Crow Blues that was written sometime in the early 1920s and was a protest against the racist Jim Crow laws. I never would have guessed that topic. It's really metaphorical. It's the lyrics of this. Okay. <laughs> Joking. I know, but okay. Because you said you said you said earlier that it's like all metaphorical. Oh, yeah, yeah. It did not catch on, did it? This old Jim Crowism did bad luck to me. Just me and the blues. I'm sorry, I'm not making fun of this. I've been traveling. This I've like been traveling <laughs> from toe to toe. Everywhere I have been, I find some old Jim Crow. One thing, people, I want everybody to know. You're going to find some Jim Crow. Every place. Right. That's just a little taste of like early folky type stuff. That type of music really typified the folk revival and protest movement of the 60s when artists like Bob Dylan and Pete Seeger wrote songs criticizing what they saw as wrong in the world, from the Vietnam War to racial segregation and everything in between. We're going to take a little bit of a pause to talk about Pete Seeger, because he's very important, and he's not going to come up again. Hi, Pete. Pete Seeger was born in Manhattan to a Harvard-trained composer and musicologist. Wow. Traveling with his family in 1936, he first heard someone playing the banjo and was immensely affected by the music, as we all are when we first hear the banjo. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> captivating. He started to attend parties in Greenwich Village where the host played Americana and hillbilly music. Which I cannot see happening today. Imagine going to a party in Greenwich Village and they just play like 
pop country. <laughs> it's, like, it's like country music party. I could see it ironically. At the time, Pete was 17. He joined the Communist Party and started his political activism. He saw some success as a member of the band called the Weavers, but due to McCarthyism in the entertainment industry, blackballing communists, he found it tough to get by. Do you know anything about McCarthyism? Mm, probably, but I couldn't tell you. Okay. It was just a senator named McCarthy who held like communist trials, and anyone who was basically accused of as being a communist would be blackballed. So like a lot of professional entertainers were just basically kicked out of the entertainment business because they were blackballed. I have never heard this term blackballed. Well, that's that's what it was. They were like blacklisted. Sure, but yeah, I mean it's the same thing. That was the term. Are you? It is. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if I can figure out where that term came from. Okay, so blackball came from. It was a rejection, typically by means of a secret ballot. So you would get a black ball as like your vote, and that means you were out. So they just kind of applied that to stuff. Okay. Anyway, so as a part of that whole Red Scare McCarthyism, Pete Seeger found it hard to get by making music because no one wanted him in the entertainment industry. So he started to work. Why is the senator caring about the entertainment industry? He's just caring about communists in general. He was out for blood with everyone. He didn't care who you were. But gotcha. like the more prominent you were, the more important it was to have you not be able to speak. Like, I get it. Like, yeah. entertainment is a major like aspect mm-hmm. that controls, not controls, but in, influences yeah. how people think. Like, I get it. But it was funny, like, the way that you phrased it. You were like, he was specifically going. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't even know if he did a lot of trials for entertainment, but it's just like that was the spirit of the time. Right. I'm sure everyone was afraid to be on yeah. board with that. So they just kind of, it was called the Red Scare. So they would just, everyone was out to get communist. I did see, I do, I did, I do know, I know of that. Yeah. Yeah. I knew you did. Okay. Really? <laughs> oh, nice. I have faith in you. Thanks. So Pete started to work as a teacher and recorded as many as five albums yes. a year. A teacher. Yeah. Put less the, influential. Less than. influential. <laughs> Let him be a teacher. <laughs> like, that is so comical to me. It probably was less influential. Oh though. my goodness. But he also recorded as many as five albums a year for a small folk label in the 50s and 60s. So he's prolific. In the late 50s and the early 60s, his anti-war songs started to gain some traction. Like this one called Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Ready to hear some Pete Seeger? I'm ready. Long time passing. Where have all the flowers gone? What is this accent? Long time ago. I mean, it's American, but it's like a weird. Like he's trying to be Irish a little bit. It does sound but extremely. He's from Irish. New York, so he's not. Is he like Irish New York? Maybe. Oh, when will you feels ever like learn? Irish name, right? Oh, when will you ever learn? Where have all the young girls gone? Long all right, don't have to listen to much of that. That's Where Have All the Flowers Gone by Pete Seeger. By the time the folk revival really started in the mid-60s, Seeger was seen as like a legendary figure. 
He'd been around for decades already and had proven his worth. He was one of the biggest early backers of Bob Dylan. He started a magazine and was a longtime contributor to a different one that were like kind of big in the protest communist movements. He coined the term Woody's Children to refer to his generation of protest singers based off of his friend and other folk icon Woody Guthrie. He passed away in New York City in 2014 at the age of 94. Seeger left a massive impact on music, mostly because of his belief that music could make a difference. After his death, his friend Billy Bragg said, quote, Pete believed that music could make a difference, not change the world. He never claimed that. He once said that if music could change the world, he'd only be making music. But he believed that while music didn't have agency, it did have the power to make a difference. End quote. I like it. Yeah. He seemed like a good dude. I agree. Here's one of Pete Seeger's best-known songs, We Will Overcome. He didn't write it, but it was first published in one of his magazines. It's descended from an old gospel song and probably first sung by tobacco workers during a strike in the ni- in 1945. a fan of his music i mean of the music no but <laughs> the idea the spirit behind it yeah i'm on board i like it the folk revival was huge and it encouraged a new generation to find meaning and authenticity in the traditional songs of the country as well as enjoying songs with simple acoustic accompaniment the public started to embrace artists who were creating music that was deeply personal and more about the power of the song than the performance By the mid-1960s, Bob Dylan took the lead in merging folk from the folk revival with the popular rock music happening at the time. He took the sound pioneered by Seeger and Woody Guthrie and made it commercially popular. His song in 1965, Like a Rolling Stone, was one of the first that successfully merged folk and rock. This freed up the emerging generation of singer-songwriters to use elements of whatever genre they wanted to help tell their stories. Which is cool. Here is like a rolling stone. He doesn't look like my grandpa. That's where the Rolling Stones got their name. He's from a Muddy Water song. 
Bob. I can't tell whether or not I like him. Okay. That's the same opinion I have. We've already talked about Carol King in the Soft Rock episode, but she was hugely influential in this style of music, as was Neil Young, Paul Simon, Joni Mitchell, and Van Morrison. Bob Dylan had made it safe for these artists, who maybe weren't the most electric stage performers, to use their non-standard sounding voices and more poetry-type lyrics to tell their stories. In 1969, Newsweek ran a report on some of the prominent female singers who were launching and changing this genre. It said in the article titled, The Girls Letting Go, quote, (laughs) What is common to them, to Joni Mitchell and Lottie Golden, to Laura Nyro, Melanie, and to Elise Weinberg, are the personalized songs they write, like voyages of self-discovery, brimming with keen observation and startling in the impact of their poetry, end quote. In 1970, John Lennon released his solo album, which he called A Primal Scream, and was very confessional. After breaking up his group with Art Garfunkel, Paul Simon released an album in 1972 with several songs that addressed deterioration and death. With such major artists leaning into this style of music and kind of the more existential themes and giving it a voice as well as emerging artists showing what they could do, the singer-songwriter genre hit its stride in the early 70s. These artists, following Bob Dylan's lead, started to break down the traditional song form and add in elements of their own. Joni Mitchell, who we'll talk about next episode, wrote songs about finding love in a sexually free age and was one of the first to incorporate jazz elements into singer-songwriter genre. Get it, girly. Yeah, we'll talk about her. She's fun. Neil Young was the quintessential hippie becoming disillusioned with the environment of the 60s and shaking it off. Van Morrison created more metaphorized and cryptic dreamlike songs with heavy Celtic influences or Celtic Mm -hmm. What? <laughs> you don't like that? That just sounds awful. I think Van Morrison is brown-eyed girl. I think so, too, but still that sounds... Which doesn't sound like what I just said. No. So <laughs> Randy Newman created very ironic songs that were more like dramatic monologues. They just sound like wet blankets. <laughs> <laughs> they just sound like fed up with the world. Well, and trying see, to express themselves how they know best. I also sometimes feel fed up with the world and like to listen to music in that time. But like the the descriptions of those like uh, themes just <laughs> sounded so like contrived. I was just sure. like, oh, I don't want to be in the room with you because you're going to tell me about your thesis. And oh, it's yeah. like it's probably a lot of smoking pot and talking about what they would do to make the world better. That's Wh- probably a lot of hanging out with them. Also, is sometimes a major vibe, <laughs> but like it just, I don't know. What is that fine line between like, I also am and pretentiousness. <laughs> That's <laughs> what it is. I feel like that line is Bo Burnham. He, he <laughs> at any given time, he is on either side of that line. and He is right next to it. <laughs> He is the line. He is the line between... The Bo Burnham line. He's the line between artistic and entertaining and pretentious. Oh my gosh. So one song from Neil Young is very typical of this time. 
is called Heart of Gold, which features backing vocals from legendary artists Linda Ronstadt and James Taylor. And it was kind of the result of a back injury. Oh, no. He couldn't play his electric guitar as well sitting down, so Neil Young went back to playing his acoustic. The song was recorded while he was in Nashville, but was played live during his shows in 1971 before he had time to record it. The song was inspired by his newly blossoming love for an actress. It hit number one and kind of changed his career, pushing him into the spotlight, which it seems like he never really wanted to be. He just Mm kind of wanted to be in his little lane doing things, but this Mm -hmm. kind of made him a superstar in a way. I'm excited. Here is Heart of Gold. It's a live one, so I'm going to let you see it. I know this one. I thought you would. It's a good song. I like it a lot. Heart of Gold. I like it. Neil Young also eventually joined kind of like a singer-songwriter supergroup. Crosby, Stills, and Nash became Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young when he joined. We'll talk more about Crosby at least next episode because he kind of had a big part in Joni Mitchell's career. By the mid to end 1970s, these artists all started to be absorbed by other genres. They turned... (gasps) accidentally in the last few years the word absorbed has left my vocabulary (laughs) so you were just excited to hear it again (laughs) no the other day at work i tried to say absorb but instead i used the word resorb (laughs) a la dwight from the office and that's when i stopped mid-sentence and looked at my patient and my patient's mom was like that's not a word, is it? And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, I don't think that's a real word. I think that's from the office. And then had to kind of like get back on track and be like, absorb. Anyway, nice. I, I at some point switched those words enough in my brain that I used resorb in the medical setting completely feels seriously. Fair feels like they're mostly the same thing. People I, probably knew what you meant. I think so, but anyway, that's that's my, okay. that's, yeah. What, what did it absorb? These artists that were like major in the singer-songwriter genre started to be absorbed by other genres. Like they turned toward more traditional pop music or became soft rock artists. But a new crop of singer-songwriters sprung up. People like Tom Petty, Kate Bush... And John Mellencamp, Kate Bush, who is super relevant right now. 
That, look at that timing, man. I know, right? Like I wrote this back in May. <laughs> now That's <geez>. wild. <laughs> she has just been running up that hu- that hill ever since May. She it's has just... apparently made way more money off that song in the in like one week when Stranger Things came out than the entire history of that song being out. I'm happy out. for her. Like she was making like over a million a week off that song. Apparently, <laughs> it's wild. I love it. Yeah, it's I great, love it. great for her. But the emergence of punk music kind of stole the thunder from the singer-songwriter generation. (laughs) People were turning more towards that to kind of talk about their dissatisfaction with the world. Nice. The singer-songwriter genre is arguably stronger than it ever was. With how easy it is to write and record and release material right now, I feel like there are more singer-songwriter songs being published today than ever before in history. They might not be as good as the stuff of the (laughs) 70s, but that was never the point of singer-songwriter. This genre is all about authentically telling your story in whatever way felt right to you. I think it's safe to say that the idea lives on in a lot of the music being created today. I don't think it's necessarily worse. Like, if there's more... It probably is. You think it's worse from a production standpoint these days? Yes. I think someone just sitting with GarageBand in their room is probably worse than a multi-million dollar studio of like the top artists in the country recording in it with the top engineers and top producers and being distributed by the top labels. I think it's the quality is probably worse. But in terms of like the song, maybe not. Maybe they're just as good. But. I have listened to a lot of bad singer-songwriter stuff that's come out recently, so mm-hmm. I'm also jaded. Well, that's singer-songwriter. Next week, we talk about Joni Mitchell. Well, I say next week. Next episode, we talk about Joni Mitchell. And then we do a very drastic change. Go punk? Nope. Disco. Oh. All right. We talk about disco and then the Bee Gees and then we have a bonus episode about ABBA. That does sound fun. And then I don't know what's after that. That's all I have written. But we'll see. I'm really Punk excited music about music does ABBA. come eventually, but I think I think we go through like R&B, we got to do like uh there's some weird genre in there that I'm not excited to talk about and then I think we do punk cuz punk was kind of like mid to late 70s. Mm. With like the Ramones and yeah, the Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and all that type of stuff. What's your favorite singer-songwriter? Of this era or mm-hmm. just ever? Uh, current. Current. So not the 70s. Right. Edwin McCain. I think that's his name. Yep. That's not current. <laughs> But he has that one song that's wonderful. I'll be. Is this? I'll be (laughs) your crying shoulder. I'll be. There's one. There's a British singer songwriter that I like a lot. He had a little bit of TikTok stardom. What's his name? He's that guy's like, I was way too scared to hit him, but I would hit him in a heartbeat. Now that song, that got very popular. I don't Hold know on. that. I feel like you do, because I'm pretty sure it's on my playlist. Would you consider Matt a singer-songwriter? Matt Kearney? Yeah. yeah. Okay, definitely. me too, but I mean, 
Sam Fender. That's who I was thinking. Sam of. Fender. He has that song called White Privilege. That's really good. Also, Noah Kayan. I really like that I like, guy. I was thinking about that. Because um, he has that. He has a new song out right now that's really good. I saw that on my Spotify and I didn't get to it. Um, Emily Wiseband. Yeah, she's really good too. Really good. She's making music right now. I'm excited. I don't have my playlist because this is your computer. So Hypersonic I can't really Missiles. I've heard that one. Yeah. I don't nefis- I don't necessarily recognize anything else though. I don't know. Well, that was fun. Do you have any other any other thoughts about singer songwriter? I think that we should I think that I think that we should be more open to what makes a singer songwriter. Okay. I think if they create their own music and they sing it, then they should be sing- and they ha- it's just them and they have their guitar or their piano. Okay. I feel like that does limit it though cuz that means it's a little bit more acoustic if they have like their guitar and their piano. For example, like Bryce Vine. I really like his stuff. And he probably writes his own songs and performs his own songs. He's not singer-songwriter. Like, I can't put Bryce Vine, Noah Kay, and Phineas in the same genre, even though they do write their own music and perform Phineas their own is... Music. I just did a Google of, like, singer-songwriters, and he's in there, in, like, so. all of them. I guess so. He's just kind of... I would classify him as more pop than anything. I would classify Ed Sheeran as pop, but I also think that he's sure. very easily singer-songwriter, especially I think his early. early stuff was. I don't think he currently would be. Oh, I mean, I just try not to think about his current music. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts? Or are we good to end it there? People My can argue hurts. on Twitter about what singer-songwriter is. No, you must support me, but also you can tell me who your favorite person is. Just in general, their favorite person ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> favorite person. Tweet at me who your favorite person is. Yep, mine is you. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. My head hurts. I'm gonna go now. I've been the redwood. I crossed the ocean. Floor.